0: Today on Ag News Daily.
1: How valuable and important the U.S. wheat industry is. Uh, There's been a lot of attention on NOG and our other organizations and our growers. And I'm hoping that this is really sinking in with our urban consumers to realize just how important that family farmer is that's growing that wheat.
0: Good morning, listeners. It's a great Friday morning here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Cassidy Zirkle, joined by Tanner Winterhoff. How are you this morning, Tanner?
2: Great. Since Delaney's not around, I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm good. It's a Friday. We, uh, we are having great weather here in Iowa. Everybody who is uh, not finished planting should have a good day to try and get things wrapped up today. How's the weather in your neck of the woods?
0: It's actually pretty good where I am. We got a really good rain the last two nights and it's sunshine in today and kind of drying out a little bit so it's not too muddy. Good. I think it's actually going to green up a little bit from our good little rain.
2: Awesome. Good for you guys. Well listeners, we did get a little bit of a sneak peek into Vilsack's integrated plan for domestic food production. So this comes on The coattails of the Biden administration setting aside billions of dollars to help our nation's food supply chain recover from the coronavirus pandemic. And now the looming global effects of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So uh, they announced this new funding and how it was going to be put together. Uh, Successful farming did a really good job of including a lot of detail. Uh, Really hard for us to cover it here, but uh, main focus again is on the nation's meat processing capabilities, uh, making sure that they have the right pandemic practices in place. There's new programs to help and support farmers moving to organic production, which was quite interesting. So 75 million goes to urban agriculture, 600 million to cold storage, 40 million to train uh, workers for those meat processing plants, 155 to boost the availability of healthier foods in under, under-wealthed Community, So um, a lot there to unpack on that side of things, but certainly it gives a lot more detail on what the government is trying to do to help subsidize these food costs, because Cassidy, the Federal Reserve, is continuing to downsize their balance sheet. So shrinking of the balance sheet to the Federal Reserve means that as the bonds that they have sold run off, they are going to let them expire so that cash will stay Out of the market. So instead of having liquidity that's cash on hand or cash ready to invest, the Fed will now be pulling that out of the market, which will, you know, add some more constraints here. So as you hear that terminology listeners about the Fed shrinking their balance sheet and a two pronged attack with raising interest rates might continue to push up inflation as we see it.
0: I appreciate you explaining all that vocabulary, Tanner. I'm sure I'm not the only one that doesn't understand when reading all of that.
2: It can get pretty deep in there to where even times I don't understand. So uh just means we're probably in for some continued expense increases.
0: Well, it seems like the USDA has been announcing a lot to do with all of that because I did report on the training of the meat packers uh, employees yesterday. So I think that was probably just a little sneak peek at what he announced recently. And that was reported this morning. And then I saw an article this morning that said the USDA is narrowing their ag focus and releasing a poultry specific rule that models the Federal Trade Commission's franchise disclosure efforts. So it seems like they're goal with this new rule being put in place is to require transparency between poultry packers and their producers so that the producers can manage their risk more by knowing better who they're working for and who they're producing for.
2: Yeah, I think that's a good move forward. And I think we've got quite a bit of poultry news this morning because I saw that um, we are expected to, this came from Chuck Abbott, to have a meaningful impact on turkey supplies in the next coming months. That's coming from the head of Hormel Foods, which is the second largest turkey producer in the country. So their chief executive officer, Jim Snee, said large supply gaps of its Jenny O turkey farm operations are ahead because of their flock losses. So we've been talking about the bird flu uh, or the avian influenza as properly defined that took nearly 5.3 million turkeys on 119 of their farms. So uh, just one of the first of many announcements, I would assume, are coming in a supply chain eruption. Uh, Eruption's probably not fair capacity. At least a hiccup here. So if you are uh, hosting Thanksgiving this year, might not be such a bad idea to get that turkey early and throw it in the freezer.
0: It's always good to plan ahead, especially with the crazy supply Supply chain issues we have right now. And not just turkey, but also on the poultry side. There was a huge fire at a commercial egg farm near Coca Cato. My Midwestern isn't very good, (laughs) Minnesota. At the Forsman Farm facility, they estimate that over 200,000 chickens have been lost in the fire, which is devastating not only to their farm and their business, but also probably to the egg supply in that area.
2: Ouch. Yeah, that, uh, that is just seems to be a, a double whammy or, or maybe a multi-side approach to egg prices and to, uh, all these <laughs> unfortunate disruptions to the supply chain. But let's hit two stories here focused on Illinois. So the first one I have is it has now been announced that most of the right to repair lawsuits against John Deere will be litigated in Northern Illinois. So uh, this comes as the latest one filed by D-Line Farms, alleging that they suffered antitrust injury through deer repair service contracts. D-Line operates farms in Missouri, Arkansas, Illinois, Mississippi, and Tennessee. And according to the lawsuit released yesterday, they have and operate hundreds of John Deere tractors. So this is on top of six more actions that are pending in the district. The John Deere headquarters is stated to be reasonably nearby, according to court documents, to prevent relevant witnesses and documents that would be necessary in defense. So this now includes Forest River Farms from North Dakota, Plum Ridge Farms Limited in Illinois, uh, Ostego Forestry Services from New York, eagle lake farms from arkansas and lloyd family farms from virginia so uh quite an interesting lineup it will now be curious to see when court dates get set of course there are many other tacked on lawsuits in this right to repair cycle um, but they will be held in the home state they're close to john deere's headquarters and lastly not really related, but we are uh, very familiar with class action lawsuits in ag world, you might be eligible for compensation from Facebook. So if you lived in Illinois between or after the dates of June 7th or uh, June 11th, so you must have lived there for six months after either one of those two dates, you have the opportunity to Uh, file a claim in the Facebook class action lawsuit for wrongfully collecting facial recognition processes without your permission. So there you go. Illinois listeners, look that up and you might get your name put on another list.
0: Well, that's very scary knowing all of the data mining that's going on with all of the social media. And I'm glad to see that someone is taking action against one of them for that. And staying on the same tone with lawsuits, JBS is facing a wrongful death claim because a family from Iowa that lost their son, husband, father in COVID-19 is suing JBS Swift pork. He acquired sickness while he was working in the plant there, and it looks like the family is suing because they claim that his death was predictable and preventable, and that the JBS Swift Pork ignored the warning signs before the pandemic even hit and didn't provide the right safety materials for their workers.
2: That's interesting, and I Delaney and I had reported on how these major packers had to testify before Congress because of some of these predictable things that were discovered uh, that was more related to supply chain disruption. So this is another turn of events and more pressure on the big backers to, you know, make sure they've got their game together. Uh, real quick hit on the last two pieces that I have for today. Colorado State University is calling now for a nearly 60% chance likelihood that a hurricane will make landfall in Texas this hurricane season. So that is up from a 28 percent chance in April um, almost doubling well it is more than double should be able to do the math Cassidy <laughs> it's more than double the chance now of a major storm making landfall but the last piece I have is the Bureau of Land Management is making big moves they have unlocked more than 75,000 acres of public and private land in Wyoming and Colorado as a push to increase access for sportsmen and sportswomen. Across the West, so um, I had a pl- pleasure of interviewing uh, Cheyenne on the Farm for Profit podcast a little while ago about how they utilize Bureau of Land Management ground for their cattle herd grazing. This here, however, Cassidy looks like it is used for recreation. So their largest purchase in history of thirty-five thousand six hundred seventy acres in central Wyoming, including eight point eight acres of the North Platte River opens access to 40,000 acres of previously landlocked and blocked public land. So uh, North Platte River, that's considered fantastic trout fishing, uh, also surrounded by sage grouse, trophy elk, pronghorn, and mule deer. Uh, So now with this purchase, they have a sprawling patchwork of nearly 118 square miles contiguously of public land that could now be a sportsman's dream.
0: Well, that is very exciting for those of our listeners that are big hunters and like that type of experience. And another bit of positive news this morning coming from Ukraine, which we haven't got much positive news from them lately, is that a farm sanctuary has been opened up at Green Grove Farm. I believe this is in western Ukraine, away from the fighting right now. And they have been taking in pets and livestock that were abandoned due to the war, all for free. So anybody that has left their animals behind or that is leaving and needs somewhere for their animals to go, this lady and her farm have taken them in. She has multitude of different species and animals, and she's just been putting them up all different kinds of places. She has sheep, peacocks, all different kinds of poultry, some emu, horses, cattle, dogs, cats, and all of it she's doing for free to help save these animals from the war and get them out of the terrible part of Ukraine right now.
2: It is a bright side to the story of the unfortunate events over there. So it's good to hit some positive news here on Friday. But before we jump into our Friday conversation, just a quick hit here on markets. So as we discussed this morning, July corn is trading up a half a cent. Uh, on track here to end this holiday week with a loss of about 50 cents. So corn been down a majority for the week. Of course, we're looking at the Brazil crop now and their harvest of their second crop to see how that comes about. July soybeans are trading down 7 cents early this Friday morning. Again, tempering that large gain we reported on yesterday, 39 cents to be exact yesterday, uh, trying to post just a modest loss for the week. July Kansas City wheat is trading up six and a half here early, along with uh, close to the same here for Chicago and Minneapolis. So a uh, little bit there looking on the grain side. Uh, we have mixed on the livestock as we see here on our morning. But now I get the pleasure to have a conversation here with some wheat growers and learn about what they feel the supply, demand and market futures look like for us. So let's jump into that conversation. Hey listeners, this Friday afternoon interview with Chandler Gould, the CEO, uh, coming to us from the National Association of Wheat Growers. This has been a highly requested interview that you guys have wanted to get some more information on all these articles and headlines that we've been reporting about in the last 60 to 90 days around wheat. So Chandler, thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for the opportunity to be on your podcast and your program today.
2: Absolutely. Our pleasure. So why don't you let our listeners know a little bit about who you are and what the association is.
1: Absolutely. So I'm Chandler Gould. As as uh, Tanner said, I'm the CEO for the National Association of Wheat Growers. We are the premier lobbying arm of the wheat industry. We represent. Uh, 20 of the wheat producing states here in the United States, and our primary focus is to represent wheat growers to the United States Congress, uh, to the administration, as well as to other associations, maybe to the corn growers or conservation uh, uh, organizations, and then to also uh, be a spokesperson for the industry, and to also work with the diplomatic corps and international relationships uh, as we look across both the ponds of the Atlantic and the Pacific, uh, for trade agreements and, and opportunities there. So it's a very fun job. I think the thing I like about the most of it is no matter what my calendar looks like, that's never how my day actually goes. So I never have the same day twice. So it's it's an exciting opportunity. And
2: I really enjoy uh, where I'm at in representing our U.S. wheat growers. That's awesome. And so you've been doing this for what about five, six, six years or so. What did you do prior to your role uh, at National Association of Wheat Growers?
1: Sure, sure. Well, actually, um, here at the end of this month, July 1, will be my sixth year uh, as the CEO, and I, I think what's even more interesting, um, when my, my granddad was a dry land wheat farmer in the Panhandle, of Texas, and then we ran, we ran cattle, and then, you know, through some life changes, uh, moved down further into Texas, and I actually did uh, an internship in college. I went to school at Texas A&L and got a degree in animal science. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian like every other animal science major. And, uh, right, and I actually was a, a Wheat Scout for, at that time, it was Novartis, now Saginta, as one of my internships, and then um, spent 10 years on Capitol Hill uh, working for uh, Blue Dog Democrats, which is, you know, the very fiscally conservative side of the Democrat Party, which pretty much does not exist anymore. And then um, I spent five years on the House Agriculture Committee as one of the subcommittee staff directors. I helped uh, put together the 2008 Farm Bill And then I moved on to the National Farmers Union. I was there for six and a half years. It's the second largest general farm organization in the United States. Um, And left there as the senior vice president of programs. And now I have been CEO for NOV uh, for six years. And so, you know, it's just interesting, you know, how life brings you in a circle. My granddad was a wheat farmer. I had an internship in wheat. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And here I'm now the CEO representing U.S. Wheat Growers. I just think that's kind of interesting how fate and life pulls you back and pulls you back to where you belong.
2: Absolutely. That seems like it went full circle. So now Chandler, it's time for the question that I think a lot of our listeners are anticipating Um, with your uh, background in politics and current involvement as such. I think you'll appreciate what is the state of the union of wheat market and just kind of what your association is monitoring.
1: Well that's, you know that's a very good question. I have to say in the 22 23 years I have been involved in agriculture policy and politics uh, the last two years have been some of the most volatile that I have ever seen. You know we were we were heading in with regular prices uh, of wheat you know 4 or 5 5 550, and then when you slap on a pandemic, when you slap on tariff and a trade war, you slap on a supply chain issue And then you have a war that Russia has declared on Ukraine, which then disrupts a third of the world's wheat exports. And then just on top of that, put in a huge increased cost on production and inflation. It has made the market very volatile where we've limited up. We've limited down. uh, We've limited up and down back and forth. And, and really what that is telling our farmers is that the market is responding to a geopolitical issue and not so much a supply and demand. Now, I think that will start to level out the longer this continues on. But, but this war that Russia has declared has definitely sent a significant ripple, not only through the U.S. market and production systems, but worldwide and globally.
2: Yeah, and we've reported a lot on that, so I'm not going to make you dive very deep into that. As, as a lot of the articles, we've summarized what what is happening across the water But here locally, we had a couple conversations this week from a farmer in South Dakota and a farmer in North Dakota talking about their planting progress and planting conditions. What are you seeing in the main territories where your constituents, where your growers are at, and how the weather's affected them getting their spring wheat planted and now looking at getting uh, winter wheat harvested?
1: you know it's 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 been a rough year here in the united states for our wheat growers uh, 68% of our winter wheat uh is in a d2 to d4 drought um and 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 winter wheat is 70% of the us production so 70 68% of the 70% is under some sort of significant drought and so that has been in one of the drivers that has been causing uh, the markets to move up and down. And then, of course, in our spring uh, wheat states, so like uh, Minnesota and, and that area, uh, I just got a report today, you know, two weeks ago they were at 2%. Uh, this week they are up to 53%, and we should have been at 100% three weeks ago. So so we've got two major issues. Yeah, the drought in winter wheat and the excess moisture in our spring wheat is really making it a tough year.
2: Yeah, no kidding. And then that's not even to include the uh, regulations or restrictions now that are coming down on glyphosate. The fact that we are having as agriculture in general, a lot of additional regulations and restrictions put on us. But it's nice to see that uh, we've got an association here that can rally behind and lobby to help put Congress or at least get the message in front of Congress from the perspective of us as growers.
1: Absolutely. You know, we've got a significant issue that just developed about two and a half or three weeks ago. Um, As you know, bear crop science has been just bombarded with litigation on lawsuits uh, on the glyphosate compound, which has got a very strong scientific record of its safety for 40 years. I mean, even the EU and and New Zealand have approved it as a safe product. And, you know, they've got some of the most strict um, uh, standards uh, for any type of crop protection tool. But about three weeks ago, um, Bayer has a case that is pending in front of the Supreme Court uh, for us to continue to demonstrate the safety of this product. And the Solicitor General under the Biden administration wrote an amicus brief uh, discouraging the Supreme Court uh, from picking up this case. And I mean, this is significant and is going to have a huge a negative ripple effect not only across our growers who use glyphosate, but our growers that use any type of crop protection tool. And so Nog has launched a full media press. We've written the president, the solicitor general. We've talked to the, I talked to the secretary of agriculture this week, and we've made sure to work with Bayer and our other colleagues uh, to make sure that the Hill knows that uh, this is out of line. It is not scientifically based and I'm happy to go further in the weeds with you, but we are working to try to get this reversed to make sure that the sound science of the safety of glyphosate continues to move forward and also to protect all other crop protection tools.
2: Yeah, I, I think you're right on there, and I appreciate the effort that you're doing. I know our listeners also appreciate it because you know it's one of, it only takes one of these dominoes to fall uh, before we have a much larger issue in the world of agriculture, but it sounds like your growers are are heading off and being as resilient as possible with a lot of challenges in their face. We talked about global production. We talked about weather, weather issues in all areas uh, of your demographic and some policy issues. Are we missing any challenges that might be good to bring to light here in this conversation?
1: Well, you've covered uh, almost everything, but we also still got transportation issues and, and the cost there even above and beyond of what we're seeing because of COVID and then supply chain issues. And I know I've gotten a lot of calls saying, hey, you know, your your wheat price is $10 a bushel. Uh, your growers must be making a ton of money. And that's simply not true. I mean, even if we were selling a lot of wheat right now which we're not because we're in between both season harvest harvests but even if we were selling wheat right now the price of inputs and fuel and transportation would eat up any of that margin that was out there and and so if these high prices hold through the next winter wheat planting i think we may see a, a slight increase in acres that are going to be planted but i don't know if if we don't get some way to control inflation and input costs uh Wheat will probably be a little more favorable because we're a little less um, um, intensive than some of our sister crops. But overall, just the cost of production is is skyrocketing. And the sad thing, Tanner, is though, you know, even though your food costs, which we are globally high at the highest point they've ever been right now, the same amount of money is still going back to our wheat growers. So when you sell a loaf of bread for 490 or $3.99 um, and now it's $4.99, still just 17 cents goes back to the wheat grower. And when your box of cereal went from $5 to $6, still just 12 cents goes back to your wheat grower. So even though you're paying more at the store, does not mean the U.S. wheat grower is receiving more for their commodity.
2: You know, and I'm glad that you brought that point up because that's that's a lot of what we report on across a lot of industries. When we report on the, the beef packers and we report on the poultry industry. I mean, that, that's kind of our goal here at Ag News Daily is to keep our pulse, our finger on the pulse of all industries because we have listeners from everywhere. Um, but, but I appreciate the details and the facts that you have there specifically to the wheat growers. Now we, we've talked a lot about challenges and this is a Friday episode. So let's send our listeners off on something positive here in the future for what you see for your association and the wheat growers. What are some, some key positive things to look for here coming up?
1: Well, some uh, positive news is it has rained a little bit in my winter wheat uh, states. I know Kansas got a little bit of uh, rain and and Nebraska and and the Texas and Oklahoma areas. And so uh, and the markets already reflected that. So hoping that we can save and salvage some of this winter wheat. Um, I did talk to Minnesota earlier this morning. If we can get it to dry up for another day or two, I think we may be able to get uh, another 25 or 30 percent of those spring wheat acres in before that June 5th. Uh, deadline for for planting comes around, but I think overall what we have learned from the last three years is that wheat is a very durable and viable crop. Uh, we can we can be we're grown in so many geographical areas, uh, from six inches of rain to 28 inches of rain, and I think the other thing is with all that's happened worldwide with COVID supply the war, we realize just how valuable and important the U.S. wheat industry is. Uh, There's been a lot of attention on NOG and our other organizations and our growers, and I'm hoping that this is really sinking in with our urban consumers to realize just how important that family farmer is that's growing that wheat and how important your food supply and the food chain is and that we need support, not only from rural areas, but from urban areas, especially as we move into this next farm bill.
2: Yeah, I can't agree with you anymore. And if we've got a couple of our listeners riled up now and they want to learn more about your association, what is the best way for them to look you up? Um, Go to wheatworld.org. That is our website.
1: You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And our organization's contact information is there. If you are in one of our knob states, please reach out to your state association as well. But we would welcome anyone who has concerns, comments. We're here to represent all wheat growers and anything that we can do to help move forward. Matter of fact, we just had a Farm Bill Committee meeting this morning. We are putting our priorities together right now and plan to finalize those by the end of the month so that we can start lobbying the Hill to make sure we can get the best Farm Bill in 2023 as possible.
2: Hey, Jenna, we appreciate you jumping on. This has been a blast and extremely informative, and I know our listeners are going to appreciate it, so thank you so very, very much.
1: I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show, and anytime I can be of service, never hesitate to reach out to myself or to NOG or to any of our states.
2: We will. Thank you. Well, Cassidy... We don't have a lot of wheat here in central Iowa, not quite the environment to grow that. So uh, it was fun to be inquisitive and learn a little bit more about what's going on.
0: Yes, sir. I agree. I'm the same way about all row crops. As you know, it's fun for me to learn a little bit. And I'm sad that I had to miss out on that interview today with you.
2: Hey, not a problem. I appreciate you jumping on and doing the news. And uh, we'll be back again together next week. So for now, what do we say? Should we let the listeners go?
0: Let's let them go.